day, everyone, and welcome to Community Echoes. Thank you so much for joining me today. We've got a great show for you. It is a, a very summer topic. It's about invasive aquatic species and other types of invasive species as we get on through the show. Our guest today is Staff Sergeant Josh Lockwood, and we're so happy to have you. Thank you for joining us, Sergeant Lockwood. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for having me. It's a good opportunity to uh, get our message out. Absolutely, and it's a very important one. We have quite a problem with invasive species, it seems, this day and age. <laughs> it does, and, and we were in the midst of, uh, of a large uh, zebra mussel find in the lower mainland, which, uh, you know, was on uh, Global this morning, uh, regarding live mussels that had come out on a vessel from uh, Lake Ontario, from Hamilton Harbour. So, uh, yeah, it's almost perfect timing. Wow, is it ever? Holy. So tell us that story. What exactly went down there? Well, what uh, what occurred was is that, uh, you know, the partnerships that we have through uh, the western states and western Canada is to obviously keep uh, zebra, zebra and quagga mussels out of uh, British Columbia waters uh, due to the devastation they can have on the economy and tourism, agriculture, hydro facilities, etc. So uh, a uh, watercraft uh, left uh, Ontario um, and was headed to uh, Lower Mainland Vancouver to the uh, you know, the Fraser River uh, Equestria area um, and it was stopped in Manitoba at the uh, AIS inspection stations and determined to have uh, muscles on it, but due to the size and the capacity, they were unable to deal with it and uh, notified BC that it was on its way, and uh, it was uh, then found uh, down in Chilliwack by our inspectors who uh, took the information they had, uh, contacted the trucking company, located where it was, and at that point it was uh, sealed and seized uh, for decontamination uh, to be done at a later date. This vessel was, you know, it's 40 feet long came in two halves, uh, 10 feet uh, wide on each half to be able to travel down the highway. So we then had to try and locate the other half, and our partners in Alberta were able to uh, uh, stop that vehicle at the Dunsmore Inspection Station on the on the border, and they did a uh, uh, as much of a decontamination as they could do, but again, due to the complexity and the size, um, the roadside was obviously not conducive to this kind of operation. Uh, so it also uh, went to the same location, and uh, and they spent two days doing a full decontamination of the of the watercraft. Wow! So uh, are these folks looking at fines? What's the uh, what's the consequence of of bringing something like this without checking it? Or I mean, there must be some precursor knowledge of of the fact that we're not allowed to spread invasive species. What's what's going on with these guys? I wonder. Well, in in most cases, there's always pre notification so that you're somewhat prepared for this thing. And in this case, uh, uh, they failed to do that. I can't. I can't get into the details because it is still under investigation. Of course, so, sorry, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the level of, uh, of responsibility and uh, prosecutorial situation hasn't been determined yet. But, uh, I mean, obviously it can go uh, anywhere from, uh, you know, the decontamination, the seas. The boat was seized for 30 days okay. and, and remained out of the water. It has since been released back to the company because uh, their crews are confident that everything was... Uh, was clean, drain, and dry. So they uh, 
Uh, that part is still to be determined through the uh, investigation process as to what the determination of prosecution may or may not be. Right. Was this a commercial boat or a private boat? No, it was a commercial boat. It was a, it was a tug barge. Ah. Uh, the easiest way to describe it is a barge with an engine on it. Right, right. Well, geez, so so um, fortunately this boat itself was in two pieces and wasn't able to enter any waters between Ontario and here, but I would suspect that that's not always the case, correct? Well, it's not always the case. I mean, we have uh, we have twelve uh, inspection stations. Plus, uh, you know, some of them do uh, roving roving checks, uh, setting up in different locations. Um, we rely heavily on our our partners at the uh, CBSA, the Canadian Border Services. So, anything crossing the line uh, where we don't have officers stationed, and we have officers stationed at uh, Pacific Crossing and uh, Soyuz Crossing. Mm-hmm. They seem to be the majority of the places that they enter. The you know the snowbirds returning from Arizona, right? But uh, there, uh, I have gone and done training sessions for uh, all the border services uh, offices, and they seal the boats uh, there, and they seal the boats to the trailer so they can't be removed, and uh, we get notification to follow up. Right on. So, what does a person have to do to get these things off of their boat? What exactly is the um, the standard cleaning? Do you need to scrub it with vinegar for, per se, or something? And and what exactly is the mitigation technique to get these things off and out of our our aquatic systems? Well, very simply, is is you remove as many as you can see by hand with a with a scraper. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are no chemicals that uh, that they have uh, come up with that uh, will kill uh, zebra or quagga mussels. I mean, there is some zebracide and quaggicide that uh, has had some effect, but they've always recovered in places in, in eastern U.S. where they've tried it. Mm. Uh, no, it, it's a manual job of uh, scraping them by hand and uh, uh, the ones you can get. And then uh, the equipment is then power washed with, uh, we have uh, Landa and Easy Clean, uh, big power washers on tandem trailers right. and hot 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 water mm-hmm. and then high pre- high pressure spray will uh, will you know the hot water and the high pressure spray will kill the uh, the, the mussels they're not uh, anything over 160 degrees will uh, will kill them and these mussels we're not talking your normal eating muscle they're quite tiny little things that manage to do stupid stuff like climb up into piping and all kinds of treacherous things like that correct well, you're absolutely correct. They uh, they do uh, come in, and, you know, anywhere from uh, the, the head, the size of a head of a pin, to uh, to about the size of a dime, and in in very rare occasions, the size of a quarter. But um, yeah, they're they're hard to see, they're hard to find, and uh, they can be they can be uh, devastating if they get into the water because they do. They they're a, a filter feeder. So they go into places where water flows, like irrigation pipes for agriculture, and it doesn't take long for them to uh, congregate in there. Uh, they have uh, bristle threads on them, uh, which makes them uh, uh, be able to attach to each other and to other objects. And which is quite sinewy. 
that's quite sinewy, I would suspect, and, and binds together. The, uh, the way I came across this whole thing was I, I pulled over at Mount Robson to ask what was going on because there is a, one of you guys' checks there. And the fellow that was there showed me a piece of piping that, that had this stuff collected on it. And, and like it changes your pipe diameter from like two inches to a quarter inch around. They're, they're quite, uh, prolific. Yeah, and they'll also attach themselves to your outboard motors, and, and so your your engine's not getting uh, the appropriate water, and you burn your engine out. So, yeah, they clog up that. They get into hydro facilities, uh, which can become you know devastating to the you know to that industry. True. And also, uh, when they die, they they wash up on shore, and they are razor sharp uh, shells that uh, just wash up onto the shore. And uh, they completely uh, ruin your beaches. You couldn't go down in bare feet because it would cut the bottom of your feet like razor blades. Holy smokes. They, yes, they did look quite treacherous looking at this piece of pipe that the fellow had. So these are uh, obviously fresh water. There's nothing, salt water doesn't kill them. How, how is it, uh, or are they able to survive in both briny and fresh water, or how does that go? Well, they are they are freshwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if they came over from the uh, Caspian Sea on uh, vessels uh, in uh, on ships that came up the St. Lawrence, and from there they spread into the uh, eastern United States, the seaboard and the seaboard place, uh, lakes, uh, Lake Ontario, Lake Erie, Lake Michigan, and uh, but they uh, they're they're really prolific in the fact that one female can produce a million babies in in a year. So you have to be sure that you uh, you get them all, and that's why, like when you stopped at Mount Robson, that's one of our, our permanent stations. Yes. Um, the science behind it, I'm not familiar with, but uh, they say uh, any time of uh, over twenty over thirty days out of water is that they uh, they will dry up and die. Well, that's a benefit of, uh, you know, a little bit of hope there <laughs> anyways. So um, has uh, are you aware of anything infecting our lakes, like around Prince George or Kelowna or the Okanagan or, or such like that? Or is, is there a very large spread of it there? Uh, no. I mean, we don't have. They are, and, and that's why the, the, the programs for, the you know, say the western states and, uh, and the western provinces uh, combined together for this protection because uh, they haven't reached uh, outside of Manitoba. Lake Winnipeg is 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 the closest we've got, and Winnipeg has a pro- Manitoba has a program to contain them within the province, and that's why we set up our our border check stations and our uh, Canadian or Alberta border stations. Uh, we vary our times between Alberta and BC so that uh, you know we have the best contact for. Uh, people coming in and making sure that we make contact for every boat that every watercraft that enters the province uh, through one of these stations it's the law they are required to stop if they fail to stop for inspection it's a 345 dollars fine for failing to stop for inspection Right. That's another thing I was hoping to discuss with you is um, the fact that you as a, con- a conservation officer in what you're doing are in fact a law enforcement officer who is quite capable of, of uh, fining, holding, seizing, doing all of these things, correct? Could, could you kind of explain some of the, the um, situations that might occur if, if people find themselves in contravenance to these laws? So the, yeah, the uh, at a good point. The uh, 
the inspectors are uh, all uh, auxiliary officers because the uh, stations are open from uh, March till uh, the end of October. Um, then uh, these officers have the ability just to uh, to seize a boat and seal it. We call it, uh, they, they put a quarantine on it, not so much as a seizure, but it's quarantined for uh, 30 days or quarantined until it reaches its destination and an inspector from uh, that area can come and have a look and make sure that there are no zebra quagga mussels and the boat is clean and strained and it's dry. Right. Uh, so they have that ability. And the officers have the ability also, the, uh, the full-time uh, conservation officers, to uh, assist in the program. Um, they also uh, have the ability to uh, place these under uh, seizure should uh, the person not be cooperative. Um, and and hold the boat for the 30, 35 days until uh, we're satisfied that everything is 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 not viable. Yeah. By that I mean it's alive. So yeah, there's there's some there is uh, a lot of power in, uh, under the Wildlife Act to deal with with this, and uh, you know, and, and our government has done a good job to uh, to promote and and make it so that the officers uh, have the ability to do their job. That's awesome. So we're fortunate that these things tend to dry up as long and and hopefully fall off and die as long as they haven't uh, been in for, you said, two weeks to a month before that happens. Is there other types of, I mean, there's things like, I realize that your wheelhouse is the the mussels and things like that, but what other types of parasite or or things could people find themselves uh, with issue over? Uh, boating and traveling within the areas or other types of bad stuff? Uh, there is. Um, currently, uh, Alberta is dealing with a, uh, a disease called whirling disease, which causes fish to turn in a circle and die. Uh, again, I'm not the fisheries person. I don't have that science. But I know that uh, National Parks has a very stringent uh, uh, process in place for anybody putting a uh, watercraft in any of the waters in a national park. Uh, they all have to be uh, decontaminated, washed down. They have to be dry because this whirling disease can attach to hip waders if you're fishing uh, in the rivers and, and, and locations where it's currently uh, a viable uh, biological pro- uh, invasive disease. And uh, they definitely, BC uh, is working on keeping that out of places like the Kootenai River and, and some of our major fisheries in the East Kootenai Right, right. And uh, I guess there's no natural predator for something like that, I guess, that would help clean it up? No, there's no, uh, There, again, I'm not a science person, but I know of no natural predators that deal with uh, zebra mussels or uh, quagga mussels or, or whirling disease that uh, it would work. And, and then quite often when you introduce uh, something to, to try and fix something else, that creates... Uh, sometimes another problem in a different area. So um, I leave that to the, uh, you know, to the people at the uh, Ministry of Environment and the, you know, the people that strategically deal with this. They are doing testing through uh, a, a process. Uh, they test about 250 lakes a year through the universities and, and private organi- or, you know, public-private organizations to make sure that we don't have uh, any of these uh, muscles showing up. Well, that's good to know that the universities are tied in and that there is, other than the law enforcement aspect of it, uh, studying and doing something to help prevent this. 
that's uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so obviously we can't eat these things, right? They're not edible. <laughs> it's not like you could scrape a bunch up and boil some nice soup broth out of them or something. Or, or uh, is there any information on that type of thing? I, I don't have that, but I can tell you I've seen them and I've smelt them and I'm not sure that they're actually edible. <laughs> I guess not, eh? Well, there you go. Right on. Well, um, I, I, can you stick around with us for a little while? We've got uh, another guest on with us here who is the Northwest Invasive Plant Council, Penny Adams, and maybe you could throw in another couple of cents for our next program. Uh, is if, uh, Or do you have to go out and do your law enforcement for the um, you know what? Uh, you let me know what you want, and uh, I'll make myself available. Uh, you know, it's important that we get our message out, and, uh, and and thank you for doing what you're doing. Okay, well, why don't you hang around for a couple of minutes uh, then, and you can come back on after the break and men- maybe mention a couple other things that you really feel that the community and the province should know as a whole. Is that okay with you? It is. Outstanding. Okay, thank you very much, Staff Sergeant Lockwood. We will talk to you shortly then. Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFISFM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. An inspiring message from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. A Songs in the Chapel Sunday morning at 9, only here on 93.1 CFISFM. Experience a unique artisan shopping experience this summer with the Studio 2880 Night Markets. This Thursday and on August 18th, you can shop for high-quality locally made products and foods on the spacious lawns in front of Studio 2880. It's a relaxed evening out with a host of incredible vendors. Interested vendors can book a space through Studio 2880. The Midsummer Eve Night Markets, this Thursday and August 18th from 6 to 9 at Studio 2880. Anyone interested in starting up a local group of the British Columbia Women's Institute is asked to contact Lorraine Doran at 250-596-1518 or by emailing ldoran985 at gmail.com. The purpose of the BC Women's Institute is to promote women's voices and women's fellowships across British Columbia. The BCWI welcomes all women to become members and find community and friendship locally and provincially. More information on the BC Women's Institute is available on their website, bcwi.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, cloudy, the 60% chance of showers, wind from the southwest at 20k, a high of 18. Tonight, showers, southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 11. On Tuesday, cloudy, the 40% chance of showers, and a high of 17. Hello, good, hello, we are back with Community Echoes. This is Echo Wiley hanging out. Phyllis can't make it today, and we have Reg on the board with us today, which is a special treat. Steve couldn't make it in, and um, we are speaking to Staff Sergeant Josh Lockwood of the Conservation Officers of the province, and we are speaking about muscle infestations within our lakes, so... What would you all like us to know more than what we've already discussed, Mr. Sergeant Lockwood? <laughs> Hello? Uh, yeah, the, you, have, uh, you have me uh, for whatever questions you have, if uh, anybody has any questions uh, regarding the, the process. 
Okay, um, um, we have uh, Ms. Penny Adams here, and she is uh, with the Northwest Invasive Plant Council. Can you think of any questions about mussels or, or anything to do with the invasive plants? Uh, Sergeant Lockwood, is his wheelhouse is the mussels, not so much other stuff. Well, thank you for having me on today. You're and, very welcome. Uh, this is Penny Adams. Hello, Sergeant Lockwood. I don't think we've met. Um, I'm the program manager for the Northwest Invasive Plant Council. And uh, I guess five years ago, I guess, um, up here, uh, the Northwest Invasive Plant Council was part of the pilot program. And we ran the first muscle sort of checkpoint at the Vailmont Marina at their big fishing derby. So it's gone really far ahead with that. And it's, I'm really happy to hear that um, it's working so well particularly down south where they're catching some of those boats coming through. It has worked well, and, and again, we work with your partners down here in uh, in the South Okanagan Invasive Species Council and both the, the West and the East Kootenai uh, group as well. Yes, and I get, I get stopped all the time, um, people asking me, um, do I have to have my paddleboard or my my kayak or whatever inspected we're not motorboats and i'm going yep i got stopped too <laughs> so <laughs> well and that's exactly why the signage that we put up on the highway we have signage depicting each one you know because people say well it's not a boat well we're not asking for boats we're asking for watercraft whether it's a kayak or paddleboard um and those things uh you know they're the signs uh, the reader board actually specifies kayak canoe paddleboard and it talks about watercraft, and uh, people have to differentiate between, you know, we're not always looking for boats, because uh, if you left your paddleboard or your kayak in the water, these things would attach to it as well. Yes, and that supports uh, the program, obviously, the Clean Drain Dry program that's gone Canada-wide now, and although we're sort of a terrestrial plant uh, management uh, program, we do do some invasive aquatic species, uh, particularly yellow floating heart in Seymour Lake. We're really lucky we don't have a lot of aquatic for our, our fauna up here in the north, but I don't know, with the way things are warming up, uh, we're finding that the plant populations are changing quite a bit. But uh, right now, it's um, I actually promote with people that they need to just check for you know water milfoil. If they're not sure what they've got, we can identify it, those kinds of things at least the invasive species. So what you're doing and what we do really complement each other. They do, and we train our staff. Uh, we train every year for uh, the staff are all trained for two weeks. Um, we have lots of returning staff, but, uh, you know, everybody still gets the update. And one of the things we do deal with is, you know, on, on dirty boats is they're looking for, uh, you know, uh, the aquatic uh, plant life that attaches to, you know, uh, trim tabs and props and things like that. So if they come across those things, uh, they talk to the owners and talk to them about cleaning and draining and, and making sure they're dry. And they remove anything that uh, that they come across, any plant uh, objects, because you don't want that going from one lake to another either. Yeah, so like I say, it supports what we're doing too, even though we don't tackle aquatic plants per se, other than the uh, yellow floating heart in Seymour Lake. Um we definitely promote that clean, drain, dry program, and we have uh, handouts and whatnot that we give out at events and so on, So, which is wonderful. Well, it's a great opportunity for, you know, for the, uh, you know, for government and, uh, and societies, uh, you know, invasive plant societies or, or even invasive other uh, aquatic societies to work together for the, you know, going to the same goal. Mm-hmm. And I do have to mention uh, the majority of our funding does come from the province, so we all work together on it. 
That's good that we have such good supportive programs working with each other with the universities, the plant-based council, as well as your, your guys' end of enforcement. It seems like a pretty well-oiled machine. Well, it is. We, you know, here in the Okanagan, we deal with the boat manufacturers and the boat, uh, you know, the boat dealerships, and uh, we train. Uh, we put on training sessions. Our staff will come in and put on training sessions for them. So that if they were to get a boat that came uh, from Eastern Canada for repair, is that they know what they're looking for, and uh, they call us if they find anything that uh, that would be on toward to possibly being, uh, you know, a zebra, a quagga mussel. And so they, you know, they're really getting a lot of cooperation. We now have a marina program that uh, a lady has start, wants to start here that all boats going into her marina must be checked uh, for uh, uh, aquatic invasive species prior to being uh, put into the lake and, and, and being able to have a spot in her marina. Well, that makes wonderful sense. Uh, is there such action going on in Ontario with boats leaving the province? Are they as stringent uh, following up? It seems that this one boat managed to get through that uh, we've been talking about that was on the news earlier. Uh, like, how is are they a little not as stringent? I guess they have more exits and it's a larger area to cover and things like that. But uh, just, I guess, how do these things happen? Well, they have such a large invitation uh, that they can't deal with with the magnitude of that. Yeah. So um, it, it, they, I, I don't know what's happening beyond the, the Manitoba borders because we, I, I'm not part of that. You know, I know our management people deal with that, and and certainly our science people, Martina Back, who's who's the uh, in charge of, of climate control change. Or aquatic invasive species. I know she has conference calls with Ottawa and back east. Um, I'm not part of those conversations, so it, it would be unfair for me to comment on what uh, Ontario is doing. True, true enough, true enough. And uh, yes, it is quite a large landmass with those huge lakes and all that stuff. I have, my, in fact, myself only been as far as Saskatchewan just a few weeks ago there. So um, we got a big country to look after, and it's well worth looking after. And I'd like to thank you so much, uh, Sergeant Josh Lockwood, for coming on today and filling us in about all of this uh scourge of a problem that we have that we are hopefully hopefully curbing uh yeah thank you very much for letting us get our message out and uh you know we can talk in the future should something come up and, and i thank you absolutely and i hope you still got my number you could give me a call if there's anything you guys felt like talking about that we need to know up here by all means please feel free all right we will do thank you for your time you're very welcome and thank you for your time bye for now okay, bye-bye so yeah, we've got a we've got a interesting topic here with uh, invasive species, and it doesn't just stop at mussels. There's all kinds of horrible fish out there. Um, I'm hoping to get some folks on. Are you, are you yourself a bit of an expert on any types of the fish that are in the waters here? Um, only I only know about the goldfish infestation in Dragon Lake. Oh, okay. Um, and but. That being said, we do promote that people not throw their goldfish away. Absolutely. A lot of people think that by releasing their amphibians that they bought at the pet store mm-hmm. and so on. Um, there's another program called Don't Let It Loose. Yeah. And that applies to rabbits, amphibians, turtles, all those things that are considered sort of exotic animals. They're not native yeah. species here. Um, so we, we work with 
basically with the pet stores to make sure they're not selling those things. And right. interestingly enough, um, we have found, uh, I don't not, don't think in any stores in, in Prince George, but uh, the mussels in the moss balls that come in that people put into their... Oh, yes. Yeah, so into the aquariums. Into oh, the aquariums. So, yeah. So that's been, yes. I think that's been uh, looked at. And uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's happened in BC, mm-hmm. uh, but I do know it has happened. Um, so regardless of whether we're looking at terrestrial plants or the plants that live along the shoreline, so they're sort of halfway between water and, mm-hmm. and dry land, like yellow flag iris, which can just take off. Um, so if we're looking at those things, we want to make sure that all the people that are involved in either selling or buying or um, even buying online are aware of the issues of either importing or buying invasive species of any sort. That's right. Um, That's right. Um, when I spoke with you on the uh, phone originally about this interview, I had mentioned the bird food that mm-hmm. I had, and I forgot to bring down those things, of course. But uh, th- there was quite a bit of invasive-type plants within the bird seed that I bought up at Walmart that came from China. And I kind of joked about, are mm-hmm. they trying to terraform us, right? <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing? Because um, one was burdock root, which, of course, makes the burrs mm-hmm. that gets caught in your pets and your animals' coats. And and that's really devastating for the wildlife, I yeah. would suspect. Oh, for sure, yes. And then there was another other one that was like a big cone thistle with almost like horrible treacherous spikes on it. Uh, it there was like three plants that came up one of them was one that if your pet happens to walk up and sniff on this piece of it's almost like a, a, a wheat looking yeah. thing mm-hmm. it will lodge in your dog's nose this was another plant that came up out of these bird seeds so. that's, it's a, that's a very good point to bring up um, our concern is with seeds that are imported whether they're the wildflower mixes, whether they come in through bird, you know, the suet that has seeds implanted in it or mm-hmm. the seeds that you put into your bird feeder. And from personal experience, I had a bird, have bird feeders and they're basically lining my driveway, not where my lawn is. But I saw all these weird things coming up, so we've emptied the feeders, which which we should do anyway yes. um, in the summer. The birds don't need to be coming to feeders in the summer. Um so, you know, we got rid of it and, and cleaned it up, but uh, that's personal experience. But the wildflower mix is a real issue. Uh, we encourage people to, when they're buying a wildflower mix, whether it's online or whether they're buying it at a, at a store, like could be Spruce Capital Feeds, it could be anywhere, mm-hmm. um, that they check the species that are in that. And if the species are not listed by, in their, by their Latin name, so there's two parts to the Latin name, the genus and then the species, there are lots of plants with the same genus name. For example, all our knapweeds start with Centauria, but then it's the species name that gives us whether it's the invasive version or not. Okay. So, um, and if you can't get that, you, often you can get a hold of the manufacturer and ask them, or the seller, to ask them to give you that list. Right. But if you can't see that list and you see a picture on a packet of, it looks like it could be bachelor's buttons, it could be mountain bluet, both of which are invasive, but mountain bluet, which is popping up all over Prince George mm-hmm. and Burns Lake and everywhere and getting out into our native um, ecosystems is the most invasive and that has the most impact on our ecosystems because of the way it grows. 
So those are the kinds of things that you should check when you and make sure check against. Um, you can go on our website our and list. check a list of invasive species. It's not all of them; they're the ones that sort of for this area that are the worst. And yeah. you give an explanation of the the Latin as you had just mentioned. No, but you know what? That's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah so that yeah. folks are aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so everyone, that is the Northwest Invasive Plant Council. That website and. Uh, if you just typed in Northwest Invasive Plant Council, you guys would come up, no doubt. It should. Just nwipc.org. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. That's it right there, yes, nwipc. So. And uh, we have Miss Penny Adams sitting here with us today, who is the program director, coordinator of it. And uh, so these invasive species... It, it, are any of them edible? Like, are they have? Do they have value? Can people like harvest them? Because there's a lot of foragers and yeah. harvesters out there that would be interested. I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to qualify that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, a lot of the invasive species, invasive plants, come in came in through either people back in the early 1900s when they're colonizing, bringing seeds over from Europe, mm-hmm. or uh, from the horticultural centers overseas, which. A lot of our um, centers here are sort of the, the main buyers bid on the plants and bring them in. So a lot of our ornamentals, beautiful ones that turn out to be rather dastardly when they get here. Um, we What we try to do is basically assess what's coming in. And many of them, not many of them, some of them are, were brought in for edible purposes or for medicinal purposes like common comfrey mm-hmm. which once it gets a hold I, I, I literally my alleyway between third and fifth I'm on Gillette between third and fifth mm-hmm. is lined with common comfrey and it is almost impossible to get rid of right um, but does it have a nutritional value can you I don't, harvest it at uh, all? it can no. be harvested but it's used uh, mostly for medicinal purposes and I'm not a specialist on medicinal Tenacture plants or whatever but can, yes yeah. plants hmm. were brought in for either medicinal purposes for food purposes, or for ornamentals. That's sort of the three basic things. Right, yeah. right. And some are more invasive than others, I would suspect. And uh, so this comfrey you're speaking of, it can be ripped out by the roots to get rid of, or is it just going to re-root itself and come the back The problem up? is is the roots are really extensive and mm-hmm. very, very difficult to dig up. Um, really? And unless you dig a huge hole, especially if it's a big, big mature plant, it's going to be very difficult and it puts out thousands of seeds as well yes these plants all have great strategies for surviving (laughs) believe me (laughs) absolutely absolutely i'm having the same problem with the burdock root Mm -hmm. it's like taken into the field uh, over by the house as well as um as within my own yard i cut it off every year but it seems to come back quite quite Mm -hmm. extensively it's actually one of the easier ones to get rid of it's a biennial Mm -hmm. and if you can cut that bolting stalk not where the leaves are but just when you start seeing the thick stalk coming up in the second year yeah um cut it off maybe four or five inches above the ground and that'll that will kill that plant. It'll keep it from blooming. Okay. The problem is, is it sends out thousands of seeds, and those seeds are sitting on the ground all around the other plants. So yes. it will come back again. So you have to keep at it. That's Just like with Canada thistle, you have to keep at it. Yes. And after three or four years, you'll probably start seeing it dying back, or even maybe hopefully disappear from that area. I, I actually got rid of my Canada thistle because it was quite dense. I lived down on Farrell Street, mm-hmm. down by the river, down there, and then the whole front of my my. Uh, bank to the river was just 
infected with it. But fortunately, I had this lovely lady teach me years ago how to get rid of it. You just grab it around the very bottom base Mm -hmm. and you turn it clockwise. And that root just comes right out in one little sprig. And in one year, I completely wiped out that whole Canadian thistle just by pulling them by hand. And I didn't even wear gloves because if you grab them right at the base, then you can avoid it. That's that's if they're reasonably small. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, when it gets to be three or four feet tall, <laughs> true bee, true bee. it has an, a really <clears throat> long taproot. Okay. It goes way down. And then what it does, if you are, if you, when you cut it back, is it sends out what they call adventitious roots off that taproot. Uh-huh. So you may think the plant where you did it has died, but then you'll start seeing little ones popping up around little it. Little babies. So yeah. either from roots or seeds. Mm-hmm. And most of our invasive plants, the ones that are really problematic reproduce from either roots so roots that extend out called rhizomes they re- adventitious roots seeds or stolons like you know the raspberries or the strawberries that grow along the ground and then you see a sort of it looks like a root but it's above ground and then it just starts and then it goes back yeah. in yeah so they have lots of strategies and they absolutely love our what I call our poor soils our gravelly dry mm-hmm. nutrient poor soils so that's why you see so many of them along the sides of the highways. That's right. Or if you're in a gravel, like, you know, around a gravel pit or somewhere where somebody's doing some active development, you will see these plants popping up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we are here speaking about invasive species of plants with Ms. Penny Adams, the head of the Northwest Invasive Plant Council. And we had on Josh Lockwood earlier, Staff Sergeant Josh Lockwood from the Aquatic Invasive Species. So make sure to check the show out a little later in the day if you missed that portion. And we will be back with more with Miss Penny Adams. Every day is a great day to discover downtown Prince George, and this summer there's some new energy on downtown Summerfest Saturdays. Every Saturday from 8.30 to 2, check out the 3rd Avenue Markets, the Q3, Wilson Square, and Prince George Farmers. Plus, this Saturday, enjoy live music at the Wood Innovation Square from 11 to 3, and look for downtown Summerfest Saturday specials at your favorite restaurant or cafe. Eat downtown with this week's Downtown Summerfest Saturday. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing in-person education with accessing services Wednesday, July 20th at the library. Learn about community supports like home care and adult day programs, as well as how to address challenges and work with health care providers. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Accessing services Wednesday, July 20th from 1 to 2.30 at the library from the Alzheimer's Society of BC. If you're curious about EVs, stop by and meet an owner tomorrow evening at River's Edge Services. This free get-together is your chance to connect with local electric vehicle drivers, ask questions about going electric, and even go for a test drive. The Prince George Electric Vehicle Association meets the second Tuesday of each month. Featuring all electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids, the PG EVA Monthly Meetup, tomorrow evening from 6.30 to 7.30 at River's Edge Services, 3981 18th Avenue. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, cloudy, the 60% chance of showers, wind from the southwest at 20K, a high of 18. Tonight, showers, southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 11. On Tuesday, cloudy, the 40% chance of showers, and a high of 17. Hello, we are back, and we are talking about invasive plant species. 
Um, there are so many, and they're quite beautiful. Um, we can't really talk about the individual plant species, but um, they are really quite beautiful. If you find that you have them in your yard and you're containing them, that's all fine and good. And if you're cutting them, you know, for for uh, flowers to have in your house and in vases and such, that's just fine because then you stop them from spreading their seeds, hopefully as much as they would have going into con- continuing flowering. But at the uh, Northwest Invasive Plant Council, there are programs that they run and, and uh, teach people about these different certain plants like yellow flag iris, purple loose, policeman's helmet, knot's weed, giant hog's weed, marsh plume thistle, and uh, milfoils and all other kinds of uh, types of invasive species that, that we have everywhere. We grow attached to these things, but they do tend to choke out other uh, needing uh, plants that we need within the area that are inherent. What are some of the worst offenders, Penny? Well, I'm just going to just address hogweed. Um, hogweed does not grow in the Prince George area. It doesn't grow anywhere until you get closer to the coast. Oh, okay. Um, and we we have this issue because we have its relative. Its genus name is the same, mm-hmm. um, but the species name is different. Cow parsnip, which is a native species that has been here forever, really, basically. Which is probably and, a and forageable can, plant. It, it can be used. Mm-hmm. Um, the roots can be used, um, but I wouldn't recommend it because uh, just like giant hogweed, not as severely um, but the sap can be a bit of an irritant, ah. whereas with hogweed it is definitely an irritant, and it makes you phytosensitive. In other words, you can or photosensitive. So, where you have sap on your skin, if you're exposed to the sun rays, you can get up to second or third degree burns. Oh it can my be very goodness. nasty. So that's I just wanted to clear that up because we had a lot a big scare about three years ago from a report in the newspaper. Oh really? About giant hogweed, and they forgot to say that. Oh, by the way, it's not in the Prince George area. <laughs> but I just wanted to address that right off the top. But I have seen, as you said, plants that look a lot like it. it. But they're less than half the size of the giant hogweed. Oh, you, they, they are they are quite mm-hmm. quite similar, but but smaller. There, yeah, the flower is similar. The, sl- the leaves you think are similar until you see them side by side. Mm. Um, but giant hogweed is called giant for a reason. Those leaves yeah. can get up to over a meter and a half wide. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it really is, and it can be, you know, probably twice the height of it. It can be 12, 14 feet tall. Right. Um, whereas our cow parsnip, I think the biggest ones I've seen were up in the McGregor Mountains when I was working up there. That were probably six or seven feet high oh yeah, yeah. so wow they can get quite big so but i just want to put people's mm-hmm. minds at ease as far as some of our other ones that you were rhyming off like marsh plume thistle or purple loose strife and whatnot we do have have um some incident instances of purple loose strife although it's been controlled in this area right because uh, we have contractors that go out and will do mechanical um digging or pulling or if we're directed by one of our funding partners to use a herbicide we will use a herbicide um, right. But again, it's a judicious choice. It's not just just going out and willy-nilly spraying everything because Absolutely. we don't want to kill our native plants. Yeah, I remember back in the day, fireweed, it was always that red fireweed that was popping up alongside of the roads and, and uh, mm. all over the bush and stuff. I don't see that much prevalent anymore, but I do see a mm. lot of that purple loose kicking around. Um, actually, no, I think what you're seeing are the lupins that come up in the spring. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, they people are, get them confused. Okay. Okay. So the lupins, which go all over the hillsides and are beautiful, they're kind of a they're kind of a pinky purple as they, well. Yeah, they can be purple to pink, depending. And they're starting to hybridize with some of the ornamental ones, but they're not oh. a problem because they're meant to be there. It's just like fireweed or our painted painted. It used to be called Indian paintbrush, but it's right. paintbrush now. Right. So a little. You know, they're about eight inches tall, red, red, beautiful colored flowers. Those, um, those are native species, but when they come flower, they flower all at once and they look like they could be invasive. But if you track them over the summer, you'll see the lupins come up early. They die back and new vegetation comes in. Same thing with fireweed. Like if you are in an area that's been burned, maybe a lightning strike or whatever, mm-hmm. fireweed is one of the first ones to come back. When those plants die, they return nutrients to the soil. They're meant to be there. They're meant to be there at the time that they're there. Absolutely. Whereas what happens with our invasive species is their growth period and their flowering period spans from anywhere from sort of May 15th, at least up in this area, May 15th to the end of September, early October. Whereas most of our native species have a cycle. Right. At least the the flowering ones where they, they bloom and flower for a while and then they're finished in the next native species comes in. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons why some of these plants are so invasive and why we call them invasive species is because they prevent that natural cycle happening and eventually crowd out the native species and then all you have is this invasive species. One thing about invasive species, when we talk about things coming in, whether we're talking about seed packets or whatever, is out of sort of 10 ornamental or plants that are brought in from overseas or from a different area outside of BC, probably only one might become an issue. Mm-hmm. So don't don't not buy things. Just make sure what you're buying is not on a, on a list of invasive species. Right, yeah, right. So. Which you can uh, go to uh, NWIPC's website mm-hmm. and get all the information on that to, to see which web or quite quite a large yeah. amount of information mm-hmm. so running some uh, we won't get into your programs and such right now before mm-hmm. the break because yeah. we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes but um, we you talked about your funding partners what what uh, are, are you privately funded do people donate to the to your system you said yeah. you're partially government we we are are, we, we sort of we're a nonprofit organization that basically acts as an agent for municipalities, regional districts, um, and and small villages and towns, as well as the Ministry of Forests, Ministry of Transport, and BC Parks, to do invasive plant management in the Northwest. Wow, you got a big job! And so we have about twenty three different partners. We do have some private partners. We have some mines. Uh, we have um, some utilities. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a big sort of covers the gamut of who is interested and who is concerned about invasive plants on their land. So in the ministries, obviously, it's crown, crown well, it's called public lands now, but mm-hmm. what we used to know as crown lands. Uh, so we receive funding from that. About 75% of our funding comes from the various provincial ministries, and the rest is from the other ones I mentioned. Without them, we could not do this job. Right. And it's, of course, it's never enough money. And any, anybody who calls me about Orange Hawkweed and says, why aren't we doing anything about it? I'm just going like, it's everywhere. We can't even begin to throw any money at it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and which was that? Orange Hawkweed. Orange Hawkweed. Or Daisy. Oh, okay. Or yeah, some of the ones that are 
basically ubiquitous on our landscape. You see them everywhere now. Yeah, yeah. And it's getting worse. Well, they are food for animals, are they not? Uh, uh, no. They're not a pestilent plant. Uh, uh, I, I, I know that lupins, you'd mentioned lupins mm-hmm. earlier, they are an attractor. Uh, I know Beef. a few people who are, are on farms that mm-hmm. plant big lupin patches away from their place to draw ants away from their house. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Things like that. So so there is a bit of a knowledge to learn how to... to f- so how are these non edible for for wildlife most uh, many of our invasive species are either unpalatable in other Mm. words like if you if you look at a horse pasture you'll see patches of daisies Mm -hmm. you'll see patches of um buttercup tall buttercup horses won't eat that okay because it's unpalatable for Ah. them some of them are, are poisonous oh um we have a it's called a my brain just went dead on me here, but we have a plant that, uh, Horealism, which is very beautiful. But if horses ingest it, they can come down with, um, they can founder, come down with laminitis, it can, it, and it can be very toxic for them. Oh my gosh, and what color is this? Is there it's a multi-color? It's, it's a, a white, white flower, flower. Okay. sort of a, a multi-head flower. Okay. Um, it's, it's pictured on our website if you go through our catalog. Great. So a lot of them are either, we sort of look at it as, do they create... Potential for harm to human and animals. Do they create a potential for loss of economic livelihood? So getting into a farmer's um, hayfield, for example. Or do they have a potential for interrupting or making our recreational purposes not as nice like burdock, right? Right. Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So there's just because a plant is sort of categorized as maybe one area as another, it's still, it's still, uh, we look at a broad range of things, of impacts. It's not just, is it killing our native species or crowding out our native species? What are the other impacts? Mm-hmm. Toxicity yeah. and all those types yeah. of issues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Holy moly. What a thing. What a thing. And I mean, the, the word invasive can be utilized in so many different ways. I was reading an article about a roadway down in the States, and they managed to destroy a bunch of different types of maple trees because they designated those trees as invasive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's legal technical issues to do with things like this as well that uh, really a person has to look at. And then they just rammed this roadway through that they wanted to do just by by doing that. Um, so that's a that's a totally another show, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and. So what are some of the programs that you, you guys, how do you facilitate the public? What, what kinds of things do you do to help us all out? Well, since the last two years has hopefully gone by and uh, Yay. the impacts, we are getting out there again. <laughs> uh, our organization, we have an outreach um, education assistant. She's actually my assistant as well, so she does double duty. Uh, but both of us work at, uh, we put up booths, we have information booths, and we'll be I'm not sure when we're having one at the farmer's market down here, but we do that across the Northwest um, where we talk to the public and talk about our programs. Um, and the programs that we run, most of them are now adopted by the Canadian Council of Invasive Species under the banner called Play Clean Go, but okay. that includes the Clean Drain Dry. It includes Don't Move Firewood. In other words, if you buy it, buy it where you burn it is basically the thing because they might... They, concerned about invasive bugs mm-hmm, insects mm-hmm. being transported from one place to another absolutely so there those are the types of programs that we promote we work with um atv organizations bike mountain biking associations uh some of those 
links have sort of died a little bit because of the two years, but they're being, we're coming back and speaking with them. We also do presentations and workshops. We have a workshop that we can run on, um, what's called, uh, plant wise or grow me instead mm-hmm. for gardeners. Like if you like, you really like this invasive plant, what is it you can plant that looks like it or does the same purpose instead of planting something that's invasive? Okay. Um, what is, what are some of the other ones we do? Um, talk to community associations who might be concerned about yellow flag iris being planted, you know, out at Klukas Lake or something. Somebody thought it was beautiful and put it in there, uh, those kinds of things. So we try to So what is the like word. the yellow flag iris? I'm, I'm seeing a picture here that I got from, mm-hmm. uh, con- or I keep going to call him constable, but it's Sergeant Lockwood, yes. uh, his co-worker when I stopped at Mount Robson. It's, uh, it's quite a beautiful plant. It almost looks like it looks lovely besides lily pads and things like that. But what, what is it that makes it invasive? Of per se. Uh, well, it started out as an aquatic, probably in ponds. Somebody mm-hmm. who had an aquatic pond, like that, it was promoted as a, a plant that you could plant because it will grow in standing water as well as on shorelines. Right. But the problem with it is that if the root bulb gets broken up, it can grow from just small little pieces. Uh-huh. And so if it gets into our water system, say we did have yellow flag iris in the detention pond at the corner of uh, Domano and 16. Oh, okay. I think it's gone now. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to go up and take a look this year. Um, but we were very concerned about it breaking up. If somebody tried to dig it up or get rid of it without getting the complete root system, mm-hmm. that it would get downstream. Luckily, okay. we, we were able to make sure that it hadn't. But does it but choke out other things? Yes, it what does. Is it do- it be- oh, it does. Okay. They're, just like the uh, yellow floating heart I was talking about in Seymour Lake, mm-hmm. is it becomes it becomes so expansive that it chokes out our native vegetation. And it doesn't just choke out the native vegetation. It then removes some of the habitat for nesting birds. Um, oh, the, the ramifications okay. sort of yeah. go down. Yeah, I hear. Okay, it's like, I like see. a cascading result. Right. So um, even though it's a beautiful iris... And it can grow like in your garden if your garden's got the right moisture and nutrients and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But we prefer it didn't because it also seeds as well. Right. So find some other yellow iris. So it's a tuber and a cedar. That's really yes. scary. So, Double in yes, it there. Yes. So, wow. So um, so that those are the kinds of concerns is what people see is beautiful and it's really difficult to convince them that to get rid of it. Yeah. So it's only by education and outreach and really. We want to prevent this happening. So education and outreach is way up on the scale in terms of what's important. Absolutely. Because we want to prevent. We don't want to have to be sending people out to do management or control. It's much cheaper for us and it's much cheaper for the government and our funders if it doesn't get there in the first place. That's that's right. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Yeah. Well, that's really awesome that you do all these programs and stuff. That's, that's brilliant to... Um, you know the uh, ATVers and and all those other folks mm-hmm. that are are doing uh, all those outdoor activities. Hikers, do you ever meet with the forager clubs and stuff so that you they, they can maybe add to your uh, eyes and ears out there for what's uh, perhaps an outbreak somewhere? Mm-hmm. Do you ever communicate with them? I, I don't know that we've talked with any. I have to check with my education outreach assistant, but I don't know if she's talked with foragers. But what I will say is the province has developed an app that you can download on your smartphone. Now, oh. it used to be called Report-A-Weed. Okay. But now it's called Invasives BC. And you can just look up BC Invasives or Invasive BC on in the app store. It's free. Okay. And it runs very much like the Report-A-Weed does, but now it includes 
insects and animals and fish oh, and everything. So you just wonderful. click on it and you say, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, basically I'm looking for plants. It's you ha- really should download it when you're at your home in wireless because it's a data hog. Not, yeah. one, not, not once you've got it, it's just downloading it. Mm-hmm. But it's a really important app. And that's how we are now finding a lot of infestations out in areas that we can't get to normally. Just from word of people, mouth of people yeah. out and about? Well, no, they click on it. Like they take a picture. Oh. It's really easy. You don't have to know what the plant is. But let's say you hike a trail all the time out in the, you know, maybe you're just going up to Ravens Lake or one of our hiking trails that get up into the Alpine. You see something you don't think belongs there. You haven't seen it before. Right. You pull out this app. You take a picture. You can look up flower color and try and identify it. But if you can't, if you haven't got a clue, but you don't think it belongs there, just take a picture. Mm -hmm. And then you hit submit. And even though you're not in cell range, it takes up, it holds the GPS points because it picks up satellite. Oh. And then you're driving home and you'll hear this, and there it goes. And it goes down to Victoria and then they assess wow. it and let us know whether we should be going out to take a look for it. That is how cool. we're getting our stuff from out in the field. So there may be foragers that are using it. I know that BC Parks Rangers use it. Um, people around town are using it because I'm getting so many reports on Mountain Blewett, but we don't have any funding from the city of Prince George this year. So, oh. so well, unfortunately, we can't. Out. Uh, it, you know, I think it's challenges for for municipalities and regional districts and whatnot from pandemic it's hard for them to come up with money for something that seems so you're not quite sure how well it's working kind of thing exactly or just you know the the necessity of it all i guess in general like maybe these things might just die out by themselves hopefully but a lot of times not hey so that is uh an app called invasive Invasive BC or BC Invasives, and I'm sorry that I keep get it mixed up because no, that's we have a okay. database that's got the same two words in it. But you just if you if you type in BC Invasives, the, the that'll see, pop up as an yeah, app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, yeah. and it's free, of course. I would. Oh suspect. yeah, it's completely yeah. free, and well, it really great. is. It's working really, really well. That's great. So. so, with the warming of the climate, one thing I noticed up around this area is that there's a lot of new mushrooms growing in front yards that never used to grow. All kinds of uh, plants and and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff um so with this invade with the invasive species app i suspect there's a lot of stuff like when i was raised on the island there was so many beautiful little wildflowers that all grew out in the forest mm-hmm. and you know trilliums and all kinds of mm-hmm. different li- little lilies and things like that um do you get a lot of plants that weren't here before now showing up uh, well, with global warming, first of all, I think the mushrooms are a factor of the cold, wet summers we've had lately, but I'm not sure because I have no, a lot. No, it's been a few years back. It's oh, been yeah, I have a lot in my yard, uh, too. But mm-hmm. um, the global warming uh, is, a, I believe, and I can't, I, don't, I can't quote any research on it, although I have read it, but I can't quote it right now, uh, could be a factor mm-hmm. because what we're seeing is as, as our summers, if we have good summers, are getting hotter and drier, uh, plants that survive down say in the okanagan may even be invasive down there yep. we're starting to see them quite sort of march north yes uh, chicory would be one okay. blueweed would be another one and these are invasive plants on our list mm. um so we we are starting to see them wow and i well, suspect that's something that to global keep warming in mind. is a factor i won't say it's the only factor because 
trucks and cars and absolutely everything dragging it around like we've been Mm -hmm. talking about today well penny adams it has been wonderful talking to you about invasive species today and thank you so much for joining us i hope you'll be able to come back and we can continue the discussion well thank you very much there's a lot to talk about that's the truth (laughs) right on well thanks for coming and being here with community echoes and uh we'll have to say goodbye for now and thank you so much for joining us